This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of HR in Review. I'm Amelia Brand, your host for today's episode. And today we're talking about what employers should be doing to ensure they're supporting their employees' mental health in the workplace. I'm joined by Alicia Nagar, Head of People, Wellbeing and Equity at Mental Health First Aid. She's an experienced HR professional and member of the CIPD, specialising in organisational development and equity and inclusion. She's an employee wellbeing and mental health specialist and has helped organisations to successfully embed support and shift culture as part of a comprehensive and impactful inclusion strategy. Hi Alicia, welcome. It's great to have you on the HR in Review podcast. How are you today? Yes, I'm good. Thanks, Amelia. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, So firstly, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Sure. So um, currently my role is um, Head of People, Wellbeing and Equity at Mental Health First Aid England. Um, I've worked in HR for about 15 years now, um, predominantly in the higher education sector. Um, But I also um, offer consultancy and training in wellbeing and mental health um, across the board. And I've worked with multiple sectors, including kind of the public, third, hospitality and fintech as well. Great. Um, So kind of jumping in uh, to the topic of today then, um, what are some, some current trends you're seeing around mental health in the workplace at the moment? Well, I think the really obvious one is um, around the cost of living. Um, mm. We know that lots of people are being affected by this and we know from the media, etc., that lots more people than ever are using food banks. People are really struggling um, and that's affecting individuals and obviously that has a knock-on effect to the workplace. You know, um, most people, their main source of income is work um, and obviously mental health. Um, if you're not getting kind of your basic needs met, um, you're not going to be able to perform fully um, in the workplace either. And it's really a double edged sword because businesses are also being impacted by this and in many cases can't afford a pay rise in line with inflation. So they really need to be creative with this. Um, According to the health and safety executive, um, work related stress, anxiety and depression increased by 100,000 workers in 2022. And they said that um, 10 percent of suicides were directly linked to work as well. Oh, interesting. Um, do you think COVID then has kind of impacted any changes in mental health trends you've seen? Um, I mean, something that kind of immediately springs to my mind is perhaps, you know, the new flexible hybrid way of working um, and perhaps how that's had an impact on mental health. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think flexible working in particular is no longer a nice to have or a benefit. Mm-hmm. It's an expectation from a lot of people in the workplace. Um, and well-being is at the forefront of people's minds. Um, it's a big consideration when people are deciding whether to stay in a job or to seek a new one and whether that beats their needs. Um, however, we do know that hybrid working and flexible working do need to be done well to be effective. And we know there are pros and cons. Um, so it's a really good opportunity for some people to work flexibly, has a really positive impact on their work-life balance. And it can be really a lot more accessible for those with caring responsibilities or living with a disability. But on the flip side, um, people have increased feelings of isolation, perhaps if you're living alone, that kind of thing, and then you're working remotely. And it can um, obviously then have an exacerbated effect on uh, mental illness as well. I think as well, people sometimes find it difficult to kind of draw the line between work and you know, home life um, when they're working from home as well. So um, there are kind of pros and cons. And the Centre for Mental Health estimates that 10 million more people may need mental health support as a result of the pandemic. So, you know, we do know that it must have had an effect. 
Um, but on a positive note, we shouldn't really forget what we did achieve over this period. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, we kind of everyone went into, you know, full kind of overdrive and we did adapt super quickly. We had to change overnight. Pe that's people and businesses. And we demonstrated that it really is possible. Um, so we have a huge opportunity now to reimagine the way that we work and create much more inclusive environments for everybody. Wow. I mean, you know, that stat you gave just there of 10 million people needing mental health support. Um, in that case, then, you know, what can organisations do to help their staff exactly? I mean, I think there's a whole lot that organisations can do to um, improve their approach to mental health and well-being. And there's lots of really good work being done out there already. Um, what's really key for me is that change needs to start from the top. And everyone should have a well-being strategy that is, you know, has buy-in from across the board. Um, and I think part of that is really listening and engaging with your staff. Um, so hearing about what they want, what's working, what isn't, and to get that continuous feedback and review all of your policies um, on an ongoing basis. And again, look for creative solutions for supporting staff. So, for example, in the financial well-being space, not everything has to cost a lot of money. Um, we recently introduced um, healthcare cashback plans and financial platform, which gives um, wellbeing advice and information. And they were relatively low cost, um, you know, in terms of against um, kind of a pay rise or anything like that. We also know that mental health training and awareness is proven to make a lasting difference because it really builds knowledge and capacity across the organisation and understanding so that everybody can really thrive at work. There are kind of traditional routes as well, like EAP services, um, which can be really helpful for people and MHFA does as well. So we train people as mental health first aiders and obviously we really endorse that um, and the effect it has on um, a, an organisation in a really positive way. We also know that mental health first aiders have a really positive impact on organisations. Um, but again, you know, the infrastructure needs to be around that service. We need to support the mental health first aiders as well as, um, you know, them being able to support other members of staff. And with our new um, training, we do offer that ongoing support. But there also needs to be support coming from the organisation. You know, there are other services out there that can help organizations to understand what their well-being and mental health needs are for example we offer a start well service but there are other organizations that do that as well I guess kind of um thinking about you know what you said uh, organizations can do to support uh, their employees how, how do you think that can apply to remote employees then I mean you know with so many more people working remotely you know how can employers even check up on them I think that managers play a really critical role in, in that um, because obviously they're often the main contact and they kind of almost create the golden thread between an individual and the team and the organisation. So, you know, given how much we value the managers to deliver these kind of, um, you know, functions in an organisation, we really need to support them as well to be able to do it. Not all managers are equipped to have kind of wellbeing conversations and it's really important that organisations support managers to do that. Um, so that might look like training. There's also lots of kind of information and toolkits out there as part of um, our My Whole Self campaign at Mental Health First Aid England. Um, last month, we released a free toolkit on our website for managers. So anybody can download that completely free of charge. And I think it gives a really strong basis to have those kind of ongoing wellbeing conversations with members of uh, their team to really um, understand how to support them going forward. Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. Great. I mean, so, you know, we've, we've talked about how and, and what organisations can offer 
Um, but for me, at least, you know, the overarching question is then, um, you know, why is it actually key that organisations offer support to their employees in the first place? Well, I mean, I guess, I suppose the obvious answer is that it's kind of, you know, just to be a nice employer. But, you know, we also have a duty of care as an employer. Um, and that includes protecting people's well-being. And we believe that productivity and well-being fuel one another. So by investing in mental health and well-being, both the business and its people can really thrive. Um, so we want to create an environment where everyone is able to bring their whole self to work. And we're really keen on that at my current workplace because it's better for well-being and better for the business. And we know that if people feel included, um, they're much more likely to um, thrive in the workplace and their mental well-being is likely to be supported um, so we want people to feel safe and connected to be work better together and, you know, feel psychologically safe as well as physically safe um, and to have their views heard and valued as well. I mean, um, you just mentioned there uh, the employer duty of care. And I guess it might be interesting um, to consider, I don't know what you think, you know, some of the barriers uh, to workplaces providing the support um, or even, you know, fulfilling the employer duty of care. So cost is probably the most obvious barrier uh, for many organisations in providing support um, and time. And we know from earlier conversation that um, financial pressures are on organisations as much as individuals. But the reality is that employers can't really afford not to invest. We know that research from Deloitte revealed that the cost to employers of poor mental health rose to £56 billion in 2021 from £45 billion in 2019. Um, so investing in staff mental health is you know, really, really key to um, a, a successful business. And we know that from every pound spent on what staff wellbeing, employees can see a return of over five pounds on average. I think there's also the challenge of kind of a lack of understanding and some people sticking to their old way. So for example, you know, we've seen lots of positive changes um, kind of post pandemic, but um, some people want to go back to the old ways and that's just not realistic anymore. Um, but if you're a HR professional really trying to make this case, there's so much data out there to demonstrate that um, investing in mental health and well-being is important. I mean, yeah, you know, it's really interesting to talk to you about how, how to provide support, what to support, um, and also, you know, whose responsibility it is also to provide support. Um, so, you know, to wrap up our conversation then, uh, we ask all of our guests on the HR In Review podcast two questions. Uh, so the first one, uh, if you could pass on one crucial lesson you've learned in your career uh, in one minute or less, what would be your top tip for HR professionals? I think to be open to new ideas and to really listen to people and, and your people, what worked before may not work now and what, you know, what works now might not work in future. So just to really be adaptable and be able to you know take feedback on an ongoing basis you know we've never seen that more so than during the pandemic where everything moved so quickly and people were doing pulse surveys and checks with their teams all the time and you know that gave us some really reliable and valid data to be able to you know quickly change in line with the changing landscape so we really do need to keep up um, and you'll have lots of data already in your organization so that might be kind of you know, data drawn from kind of diversity information or from kind of sickness absences and things like that. You'll have your engagement surveys, exit interviews. Um, if you have any ERGs or staff networks, they can be brilliant from hearing for hearing from. Um, and you can also just create other opportunities um, to hear from your staff. So, you know, run sessions where you, you're really focused on um, obtaining feedback as well. Yeah, I mean, I especially um, I like your point on adaptability there. Um, you know, especially in light of, you know, the new working world and, and things like that. 
Um, so the second question then, um, what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm sort of banging the same drum over and over again, but I think I think it's inevitable that we're headed for more uncertainty in the world of HR and kind of, you know, in every aspect of society. So we do really need to remain agile and adaptable. Um, as I said, we, we did demonstrate this when the pandemic hit and we changed overnight we can't afford to become complacent and think we're now we've got it nailed and we know what we're doing and um you know everything's perfect because actually everything's going to keep to keep changing the cost of living and financial pressures are not going anywhere for the foreseeable future and we also know that people's expectations of the workplace have changed so we really need to be able to kind of keep getting that feedback and keep being willing and able to change great that's super interesting it's been really lovely having you on the podcast today alicia thank you thanks amelia the HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.